And uh, if you, if you, the rest of us, could we turn back to that passage that we, which we read from just now, uh, Romans chapter three. And uh, if you've lost the page number, it's page one thousand one hundred and eighteen in the church Bibles. And although we read the whole passage, and I will probably refer to various sections of it during my talk, uh, the main focus this morning is on verses 21 to 25. So it's Romans chapter 3, 21 to 25. And uh, I will just read those verses again. And then we will pray uh, and think about them together. So Romans 3, we'll, ver- we'll read, sorry, uh, verse 20 actually, starting at verse 20. Romans 3, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. To all or for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace. As a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Well, let's uh, pray now and ask God for his help. Oh Lord God, thank you for this opportunity now to consider your word. We pray that you will enable your word to be taught clearly and accurately and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we ask also that you will be at work in the hearts and minds of each one of us to give us understanding and to give us faith and repentance. We pray these things through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as I was thinking and praying about uh, what to speak about this morning, it seemed to me that it would be good to speak from this passage in Paul's letter to the Romans that goes to the very heart of the good news of Christianity. This passage teaches us 
how sinful people like you and me can be counted as righteous in God's sight and be made fit to come into relationship with the holy God. You see, the difficulty we have is this. God is pure. God is without sin. He hates sin. The Bible describes God, it says, our God is a consuming fire. And unless there is some way in which we can be made fit to enter God's presence, then we would be consumed by him. So how that it deals with this issue, how can sinful, a sinful person like you, how can a sinful person like me, how can we have fellowship with the holy God? And this teaches us, this passage teaches us that whereas in and of ourselves we would be completely disqualified to have any dealings with God whatsoever because we're all sinners. God has provided for those who trust in him the status of being righteous in his sight. God looks upon those who trust in him as though they have never sinned in the whole of their lives. And so that means that we, those who trust in him, are made fit, are qualified to have a relationship with God and to, and to know him. And this passage teaches us that this righteousness that comes from God is a gift which God gives freely, undeservingly to all those who trust in him. And it teaches that this gift comes through what Jesus did by his death on the cross, which we receive by faith. Not by our works, but simply by faith in Jesus. So this passage tells us something very important, which is that you cannot get to God through trying to live a good life. So many people think that that's, that's the way to, to God. They say, oh, well, uh, I try my best, they say. I try to keep the commandments. I try to follow that golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do to you. So I try, to, I try my best to do what, what the Bible says. This passage says, no matter how hard you try, 
You cannot get to God that way. The only way is through what Jesus did by his death on the cross. Now, if you are not yet a true Christian, this passage is a very, very important passage for you to listen to and to hear and to believe. Because if you hear what I'm going to say to you this morning, and if you believe it with all your heart, you will have eternal life. God will forgive you your sins. You will come into relationship with God and you will have the right to go to heaven. What a great thing that is. But if you do not heed what is said and if you do not believe it, then you'll go to hell forever and ever. So it's really, really important that we, that if you're not yet a believer, you listen to what is said today. And if you are already a true Christian, then this passage will also do you good as well. Because it will remind you that God has accepted you. That, God, that you are declared righteous by God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And if you hold on to this truth, it will fill you with joy and confidence and boldness in your service of God, and it will greatly motivate you in your service of Christ. So that's all by way of introduction. So for anybody who's, who's just come in, we're looking at Romans chapter 3 on page 1118. And uh, we're particularly thinking about verses 20 through to 25. And there are five things that I'd like to show you from this passage. The first is this. Trying to keep God's law does not make us right with God. Look at verse 20, if you have your Bible open. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now, when it talks about the law there... What that's talking about is the law of God. God has given us his laws, his rules, his commandments. There are the ten commandments that are given in the Old Testament to the, to the people of Israel. And then there's various other teaching that's given in the, in the, in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, and, and also uh, other teaching in the prophets. And then there are the, there's the teaching and the, of the Lord Jesus Christ that there is in the New Testament as well. And that, all of that moral teaching is the law of God. It's the rules 
and laws that God has given to us which we, he commands us that we must obey because God is our creator. He's told us what we must and must not do. Like we shouldn't worship idols. Like we shouldn't uh, hurt people. We shouldn't murder people. We shouldn't commit adultery. We shouldn't lie. We shouldn't steal. And, and many other laws that God has given to us. Now what Paul says here is that by trying to keep God's laws, no one is going to be justified in the sight of God. What's that word justified mean? The word justified means declared righteous by God. Declared by God to be good. So what he's saying is, you're not going to be counted by God. God is not going to say to you, oh, you're a good person, by you trying to keep God's laws. You cannot get to God in that way. And what's the reason? The reason is that all of us have broken those laws. None of us obeys God as we should obey him. Now, we're just looking in Romans chapter 3, and uh, on page 1118 in our Bibles. And uh, if you want to just, just look back with me uh, to previous verses, look at what uh, the Apostle Paul says in verse 10. There is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And in their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. See, the problem is that the whole of mankind is corrupt. And that includes you, and that includes me. Verse 10 there. There is no one righteous, not even one. There's not one single good person in the whole wide world. No one. 
is good. There is no one who understands. No one understands about God. There is no one who seeks God in our natural state. Nobody wants God. We all hate him. And so instead of worshipping the true and living God, the almighty God, people worship celebrities, mobile phones, trainers, sports clubs. They put these things in the place of the almighty God. And they, they as it were, bow down to these things and say, oh, save me. As if, as if a, a celebrity can save you. Uh, they've got enough problems of their own, haven't they? But this is the, what we do. We've turned away from the living God. No one does good, it says. We've all become worthless. But no one does good, not even one. Their throat, it says, is like an open grave. You, you know what a grave is like, don't you? Imagine if you go to a graveyard and the tomb breaks open and you've got corruption and, and death and, and smells coming out of that open grave. Well, that's the sort of speech that's coming out of your mouth and the sort of speech that's coming out of my mouth. Lies. Nastiness. Disobedience. Insults to parents. Coming out all the time. Filth. Dirty jokes. Unkindness. Rudeness. It says they, they use their tongues to deceive. Lying. Oh, no, I never. I never. Yes, you did. And God knows you did. And you know you did. But you lie. Which is what we do, don't we? We lie. Tell fibs, exaggerate. Mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Ah, Oh, the weather. Oh, the government. Oh, this. Oh, that. Oh, that. Oh, cursing, cursing, cursing. Cursing God. Cursing the brother. Oh, they're all rubbish. Cursing. Bitterness. Feet are swift to shed blood. I've never murdered anybody. Well, maybe you haven't ever murdered anybody, but what about those words? You know that saying, if looks could kill. You ever looked at somebody with those look, that look could kill. Those words that cut down, that wound, that are spiteful, horrible. Jesus said, if you say to somebody, you fool, you're in danger of the fire of hell. You get angry, you've said has murdered someone. The way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. People say, oh, I don't care. They don't worry. They, they, they don't think about the fact that they're on their way to hell. I don't care. Why should I worry about God? No fear of God before their eyes. And this is the problem. This is the state of mankind. This is the state of you and the state of me in a natural state. Far from God. Alienated from God. And so it says in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. 
And that is why you can't get to God through trying to live a good life. You can't get to God through trying to give a, live a good life because you cannot make up for all of the corruption and sin that you've already committed in your life. And neither can I. You know, some people say, oh, well, I may not be perfect, but I like to think that my good deeds will make up for my bad deeds. But you know, the Bible says that all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Oh, and then other people say, oh, well, I'll make up for it by going to church. I'll fast. I'll pray. I'll serve God. But religious ceremonies cannot pay for sins. We cannot make, so we cannot, the first thing to see then is that we cannot get to God through trying to obey his commandments. Because we're all so sinful. Now, next thing is this. God has provided for us a righteousness, a status of being good, which we do not have ourselves, as long as we believe. Look at verses 21 and 22. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So, what Paul talks about here is the righteousness of God. Now, you could paraphrase that. The righteousness that God gives to people. It's the the righteousness that comes from God. And what this is saying is that for those who trust in Christ, God bestows on them, he gives to them a righteousness, a goodness that they do not have themselves. You see, God knows that we are corrupt. He knows that we cannot get to him through our own efforts, through trying to live a good life. He knows that. So what he says is, okay, you cannot do it, But what you cannot do, I will do for you, as long as you believe in me. Now, this is illustrated uh, by a vision that a prophet, a prophet called Zechariah, had. Uh, It's recorded in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 3 and verses 3 and 4. Now, in that vision... Zechariah saw the high priest. The high priest was supposed to go into the presence of God and supposed to have clean clothes to wear. But the high priest was covered with filthy clothes from head to toe, with filthy clothes. And the angel said to those standing by, Take off his filthy clothes. 
and put new clothes on him. And so that's what happened. And so now the high priest had clean clothes to wear to make him fit to come into the presence of God. And this is what God does for us. He removes the filthy garments of our own efforts to live a good life. He takes off our dirty clothes and he clothes us with the righteousness of Christ. Well, let me give you another illustration. Uh, The process of extracting iron from iron ore involves heating the iron ore in the presence of coke to a very high temperature, about a thousand degrees. And when that happens, a chemical reaction takes place and the coke, the carbon in the coke, reacts with the, with the impurities and the iron is left free. Now, the, that happens at about a thousand degrees. The workers, if a worker working, wearing ordinary clothes was to go and stand near that blast furnace where that was going on, he would be, he would, his clothes and his whole flesh would immediately catch fire. Because the heat is so intense. So what they do is they give to the workers protective clothing, which covers them from head to toe, and that enables those workers to work in those very high temperatures, 1,000 degrees, and they can do that without harm. Now, our Bible, our God's, the Bible says, our God is a consuming fire. If you or I were to try to go into the presence of God without any protection, we'd be immediately consumed. But God provides us this righteousness, this clothing, this barrier to protect us from his consuming fire. That we are made fit to come into his presence. So there's the second thing then. God has provided for us a righteousness that we do not have to enable us to come into his presence. Now the third thing to see is this. That this righteousness from God is a free gift. Have a look now at Uh, Verses 22 through to 24. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. See those two words there? Two key words. Grace and gift. What do they mean? Grace. That means undeserved love. So God gives to us, gives to those who believe, a righteousness that they don't deserve. They've done nothing to deserve it. They've not earned it. They've not 
merit it in any way. It's something which God gives to them without deserving. And then he talks, it says, a gift. What is a gift? A gift is something which is given freely without being paid for. And so what this is saying is that this righteousness of God is given to those who believe free of charge without having been paid for at all. Now so many are mistaken on this point. So many think that you get to God yet through a combination of faith and effort. So they say, yes, of course, I do believe in Jesus, they say. But you've got to try as well. And they say, you know that, that saying which is very common in English culture, maybe it's true in other cultures as well. God helps those who help themselves, people say. So you, they say, well, you do your bit and God does his bit and, the, and with a bit of a joint effort we make it to God. No. What this is saying is, it's all of God and none of you. It's all by his grace. It's all by his kindness. He gives what you do not deserve. He gives what you have not paid for. It's free. Totally 100% free, unpaid. Totally by his kindness. There's a hymn that we sing, we sang last week, in fact, I think we, um, Rock of Ages. It says this, Not the labor of my hands can fulfill your law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. You must save, and you alone. It's God alone who saves. Freely, without you paying, without any of us paying anything at all. It's all by his grace. It's all undeserved. That's the third thing. The righteousness of God is an undeserved free gift. Now, the, ne the next thing is this. This free gift of the righteousness of God is made possible only through the cross of Jesus, the death of Jesus on the cross. Let's read verse 22 and 23 again and then go on into verse 24. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now there's two big words there which I'm going to explain. There's the word redemption, and there's another word which is even more unusual, propitiation. Let me just explain those two words. First of all, redemption. Redemption 
means being set free from slavery through the payment of a price. Let me take you back in history 200 years ago, around 200 years ago, to another part of the world. Thankfully, we didn't ever have slavery here, but there were slavery practices in other parts of, of the, well, it's not, not, not in recent history, of course, in the time of the Roman Empire there was. But go to another part of the world. Imagine you're a slave. And imagine you're in a slave market. And you're in chains. You don't know what's going to happen to you. you you're fearful. You hate to think what might happen. You hate to think who might buy you and what might be done to you. And then imagine some kind, rich person comes along and he sees you. And he says, how much is he? And the person says, says, brings out the money. And the person's unlocked and handed over to to the master, to the new master. And the master says, it's all right, you're free, you can go. What? Yeah, you can go. I've redeemed you. I've set you up. I've paid the price to set you free. And you're shocked. And off you go. Because you've been redeemed. You've been set free by the payment of a price. Now that's what it means. So, you see, we, in our natural state, we are slaves of sin. We can't stop ourselves sinning. Sometimes in our better moments, we wish we didn't sin. But we can't stop ourselves. We're slaves of the devil. But God has paid the price to set us free. And the price... To set people free is the blood of Christ. And for the person who trusts in Jesus, that person is redeemed by the blood of Christ. Set free by the price that he paid. Now then, what about this other word? Propitiation. What's that? Propitiation. Propitiation means a payment that satisfies an offended party. Let's suppose someone does wrong to another person. Maybe, let's suppose this person defames somebody famous. Says a whole load of untrue things about this person and publishes the story in in, in the newspaper. And this person who's been defamed suffers a terrible, catastrophic loss of reputation and he loses his job. And it's all because of a lie that's been told. And so this person who's been defamed, he goes to court. He starts a legal process and he says, that I've been defamed. This is, this is lies. This is not true. And suppose the person who did the defamation then realizes he's in trouble. And he feels guilty about what he's done. And he goes to the person he defamed. He said, look, I'm really sorry. I, I don't know what happened. To, you know, I was being stupid. I said these load of lies. I realized I've done, done a lot of damage. What can I give you to make it good? How can I satisfy you? I know you, I can understand you're aggrieved. How can I satisfy you? And the, and the person who's been defamed, he puts a price on it. He says, 
What will satisfy me? What will then this, this case is if you give me X amount of money. And the man says, okay, I'll find that money and I'll give it to you. And he finds the money, he gives it to him, and the man's satisfied. Now that payment that satisfied him, that's what's, that is a propitiation. The man is satisfied. He's no longer angry because he's got, he's got a due payment for the offense that was caused. Now, you see, God requires a propitiation for your sins and for my sins. He requires a payment. He requires a satisfaction. He's angry with us because of our sins. And if that sati- if he's not if that if the, if he's not satisfied, if there's not a satisfaction, if there's not a payment, then we will have to burn in hell forever for our sins. So there must be a satisfaction. But who can provide that satisfaction? You can't provide that satisfaction. I can't provide that satisfaction. Where is that satisfaction to be found? Where is the payment to be found? And the answer is that God himself has provided the satisfaction, the propitiation in the blood of Christ. When Jesus died on that cross, his blood was so valuable, worth more than billions and billions and billions of pounds. So valuable that he could pay for the worst possible sins. Rape, murder, child abuse, and any other sin you might care to mention, adultery, whatever you might care to think about, it's sufficient to pay for the sins of anybody who comes to him. And so there's a propitiation in his blood. And so this is how God is able to give righteousness to people freely because the price has been paid by Jesus. You see, a lot of people don't understand this. They have a view of God whereby they think, well, God is so powerful and God is so mighty, he could just simply say, oh, never mind everybody, I'll forgive your sins. They say, why does there have to be a payment? Why does there have to be a satisfaction? Can't just God simply say, oh, you know, if God is so mighty, God is so powerful, can't he just simply say, oh, well, I forgive you anyway? No. Because as well as being loving... God is also just. He cannot deny his justice. His law says every sin that is committed deserves death. God's not going to break his own law. So there has to be a satisfaction. And the only one who could make that payment was Jesus. So there's the first point. That God's righteousness is made possible by what Jesus did on the cross. Fifth point is this. That we receive the righteousness of God by faith. Look here verse 22 again. 
or look at it if you've got it over in, 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 in your Bible in front of you. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Verse 24, and are justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It's by faith that, that we receive the righteousness of God. Look also down in the subsequent verses to verse 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So it's by faith. What is faith? Faith is wholehearted conviction that Jesus is the eternal Son of God who died on the cross and was raised again from the dead. But it's not just belief. Faith is also personal trust in Christ, where you, you pin all your faith in him, you put all your confidence in him to make you fit to have a relationship with God. Now, this is where many people go wrong. Because often, when I'm talking to people, I find people say this, they say to me, and I explain, look, it's by faith alone and not by works. They say, oh, well, that's all right then, they I've always believed in Jesus. By which they mean, well, I've always believed that God is there, I've always believed that Jesus is there, I've believed that Jesus died on the cross, I've believed that... So that's okay then, I'm, I, I've got faith, so I'm, 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 I'm right with God. No. Just because you believe certain things in an intellectual way about God and about Jesus Christ doesn't mean to say you've got true saving faith. Real saving faith is where you bank on Christ. You depend on him. And you come to him and you say to him something like this, Lord, I know I'm a terrible sinner. I know I deserve hell. But I believe that you died on a cross for sinners. Please save me. I'm going to trust that you've paid for my sins. I believe you as my saviour. That's what real faith is. is when you receive Christ for yourself. You believe in him as your own saviour. And you cling on to him for salvation. Well, let me... So there's the fourth, fifth and final point, that we, we receive these things, we receive the righteousness of God through faith. So let me just give you then these five points again. Number one, we are not counted as righteous in God's sight through our efforts to obey God's law. Secondly, God gives to those who believe a righteousness that is not theirs. It's his righteousness. Thirdly, 
This righteousness from God is undeserved. It's a free gift, undeserved. Fourthly, this righteousness from God is made possible by the death of Jesus on the cross. And fifthly, we receive this righteousness by faith. Now, as we finish, let me ask you this question. Have you believed Christ as your Savior? You say, I believe in God. Yeah, okay. But have you believed? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Are you sure you've done so? If you are in any doubt at all as to whether you have asked Jesus to save you, I urge you, I beg of you, make sure you do so today. Don't put it off. Don't say, oh, well, one of these days I'll ask Jesus to save me. No. You don't know if you're going to get another day. You don't know if President Putin is going to press that button and we'll be gone. You don't know what's going to happen, do you? Neither do I. You don't know if Jesus might come back. Don't put it off. Besides, one day, every day outside of Christ is a day that is wasted. Don't delay. Come to Jesus. Close with Jesus. Do a deal with Jesus. You know, sometimes people, they go into a shop, they say, oh, how much is that? They say, oh, that looks interesting. And they, think they, they toy with the idea, well, shall I part with money? Nah, they walk out. Sometimes people do that with Christ. They come to church, interesting sermon. Oh, yeah, might become a Christian. No, they walk out. They don't do anything. Don't do that. Don't just walk away. Here's a deal, a fantastic deal, if I may use that term. God is saying to you, I'm offering you eternal life. Forgiveness of sins. The Holy Spirit. To be part of the church. To become a child of God. To be part of the new heavens and the new earth. My righteousness I'm offering to you. Here it is. It's available. Jesus died on the cross to make it possible for sinners like you to be saved. Come, he says. Come, believe, receive. So I urge you, if you've never done so, come. Today, close with Christ. Make him your saviour. And for those of us who already believe, I would say this. Be grateful for what God has done for you in Christ. If you are a believer, be grateful. Rejoice in your salvation. Be strong in your salvation. Don't let the devil make you think you're a rubbish, useless, inadequate Christian. Of course you're a useless, rubbish Christian. So am I. But the thing is this. Christ has died for your inadequacy. Christ has paid for your sins and for my sins if you believe in him. Stand in the grace of God. And then live a life of obedience to him. Not because you are trying to get a place in heaven. But because you know that God has.
has given you, that eternal life. Well, we're going to have a few moments now where we can make our own response to the Lord. And I would urge you, as I said, if you've not done so before, take this opportunity to come to Christ right now, right where you are. Pray to Lord. I'm not going to get you to come up to front. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything else like that. But I would just urge you, pray to the Lord. Say your own prayer to Christ. Ask him to save you. And ask him to give you eternal life. And if you're already a Christian, rejoice in what he's done for you. So we'll have a few moments of quiet where we can pray. And then uh, we'll sing our final hymn.